Hello and welcome to a special edition of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. I'm Peter Mogazel, the director of the Cystic Fibrosis Center at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. And with me today is Elizabeth Yen. She's assistant clinical professor of pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Yen will provide highlights from a presentation on nutritional status and outcomes in children with CF presented at the 27th Annual North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome, Elizabeth, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Elizabeth, there's been a great deal of focus on nutritional outcomes in cystic fibrosis. Why is this such an important issue? Well, I think that um, before, you know, before the modern era of cystic fibrosis care, children with CF suffered from malnutrition and stunting primarily, and their life expectancy as a result was very short. Um, this changed a bit with the implementation of pancreatic enzyme use, um, and then the focus of attention seemed to, uh, for CF care, change to more uh, the pulmonary health. However, nutrition and pulmonary health are intricately linked, and as CF places high metabolic demands on the body, and then, uh, in addition, there are inefficiencies of um, digestion and absorption, that remain despite pancreatic enzyme supplementation. So as pulmonary disease progresses and the breathing process consumes more energy um, by you know, increased use of muscles of respiration, coughing, infection, inflammation, the importance of nutrition, I think, becomes even um, uh, more amplified. Um, there's also alterations in glucose metabolism that can further exacerbate these inefficiencies in energy utilization. And nutritional status in general kind of reflects all of these processes, and so it provides the practitioner with a gestalt of the patient's current condition. So there have been several studies that have looked at um, the relationship between nutritional uh, status and other clinical outcomes. What are some of the key findings that uh, people have discovered? Yes, um, I think the, one of the first studies that's often quoted in, um, about this relationship is uh, a study that was simply comparing the outcomes of patients who were treated in two large uh, North American CF centers. One was in Toronto and the other one was in Boston. And this was reported in 1988. Um, the Boston group uh, seemed to have a shorter lifespan than those in the ch in, that received their care in Toronto. Um, the Boston lifespan was about 21 years, and the Toronto um, life expectancy was 30 years. And the main difference between the two populations was their um, nutritional status and the diets that were provided. So in Toronto, there was a strong emphasis on high-calorie, high-fat diet, whereas in Boston it was more um, using MCT oil and uh, not, not using very high amounts of um, pancreatic enzymes. So that study set the stage for additional um, studies looking at nutritional status. Um, in pediatrics in 2000, uh, Dr. Zemmel performed a prospective longitudinal analysis of the U.S. Cystic Fibrosis Registry data for prepubertal children to examine the relationship among growth, nutritional status, and pulmonary function. 
in this longitudinal study, a positive association was found between initial height for AHZ scores, weight for AHZ scores, and percent height-adjusted ideal body weight with the forced expiratory volume um, in one second. Then in 2003, uh, Peterson and her colleagues reported on a two-year study of children with CF who attended uh, the Minnesota CF Center. They evaluated the association of patterns of weight gain with FEV1. They found that higher weights were associated with larger forced expiratory volumes. Furthermore, they confirmed their hypothesis that children who achieved consistent normal weight gain had higher forced expiratory volumes than children who had periods of weight loss or who did not gain weight consistently. In 2003, there was also a report um, by the um, epidemiologic study of cystic fibrosis. This is Dr. Constant who reported for that group. Um, They looked at 931 children between the ages of three and six years of age. And they assessed the um, weight for age, height for age, and percent ideal body weight at age three and found that they were strongly associated with pulmonary function at age six. Improvements in weight percentile across the 10th percentile were also associated with improvements in lung function. So this is the body of evidence that we were looking at prior to um, initiating our review of the um, cystic fibrosis registry data. What was the goal in your study when you were looking at the CF registry data? Yes, we wanted to evaluate the impact of nutritional status early in life on the timing and velocity of height growth, lung function, survival, and cystic fibrosis complications through age 18. We wanted to really see what that impact of nutrition early on in life did later. And we figured that the modern era of CF pulmonary care um, started around the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So we looked at an age that could provide us um, with consistency in pulmonary care and that we figured was around 18 to 20 years of age. So that's why we looked at that cohort. And how many people did you study, and what were your findings? Yes. So we had a total of 3,142 patients that were born between 1989 and 1992. We stratified them by weight percentile at age four to five years of age. So they could be in one of four strata. One was less than the 10th percentile. 10th to 25th percentile was the second. 25th to 50th percentile, the third, and then greater than 50th percentile was the last strata. And we looked at outcomes through 2009. Mean height velocity was something that we also looked at, and we calculated that as a moving average for every 0.2 years of age, which ends up being every couple of months. and what were the outcomes that you were studying in uh, the at 18 to 20? Yes, uh, the outcomes were um, ranged from the BMI percentile, you know, height, weight, FEV1 percent predicted, the number of acute exacerbations, number of hospital days um, per year, and survival. And what we found was um, 
impressively um, with uh, you know, p-values of less than 0 0.001, um, that the weight at, at weight percentile at age four, that stratification, uh, was predictive of uh, BMI percentile, height percentile, weight percentile, and FEV1% predicted at 18 years of age, um, such that the children who had the greatest weight percentile at age four also ended up having the greatest BMI, height, weight, and FEV1. And what was really striking was that survival similarly showed that same uh, predictability based on the weight percentile at age four, um, such that the children who had you know, the weight at age four greater than 50th percentile um, had a survival at age 18 of 96.6% uh, versus those who had weight less than 10th percentile when they were four years of age had survival of 82.6%. Um, and this was, you know, sort of stepwise, you could see, a, quote, like a dose response um, in, on the survival. And that we found quite striking. That's a dramatic difference based on you know, early intervention for nutrition. Yes. As a pediatrician, we know that um, what we do early in life makes a tremendous impact. And I think that this just reinforces the need to focus on nutrition in those early years. Exactly. Um, I think there's initially a lot of, or there has been at least, hesitation to um, focus too much on, um, you know, children who seemingly are doing well. You know, it's like, why are we uh, obsessing over getting this weight percentile greater than the 50th? You know, the baby looks well-nourished, he's proportional, but, you know, we plot them, they're at the 10th percentile. But it's important. It does make a difference. So if we can move that infant from the 10th percentile up to greater than 50th percentile on BMI uh, by the time they're four years of age, I it, the data indicates that that might have a really positive and important impact later on in life. No, and that's very valuable information for uh, clinicians. Are your results similar to what other investigators have found? Yes. Um, so since uh, we've published our study, uh, basically around the same time, there was a Sicilian uh, cohort um, that was reported by uh, VNE and colleagues in 2013. And they did a nested case-controlled study and found that um, stunting, where height for age less than fifth percentile, was also associated with increased mortality in that group. Um, and so that, that was just you know, one additional study. Um, there's also a study in adults uh, by um, Fogarty in 2012 uh, of uh, adult patients with cystic fibrosis in the UK that found uh, lean body mass was also associated with lower mortality. So these aren't like, you know, exactly what we were um, talking about in terms of the effects of early childhood nutrition, but they do show the importance of, um, uh, you know, in one case, the nutrition's impact on height and its association with um, mortality and uh, or survival, and, and in Fogarty, similarly with lean body mass, which also is a measure of nutritional status. 
The availability of newborn screening throughout the United States and in many places around the world gives us a tremendous opportunity to intervene early. And I think your data supports that uh, being critical in uh, later outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, probably the, one of the biggest interventions we can make is educating the family early on about how important nutrition is. Um, in a supportive fashion, so not just scaring them, but also providing them with the tools that they need to really help their babies grow and thrive. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining me and talking about your work on nutritional outcomes in cystic fibrosis. And thank you for joining us for this special edition of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Thank you, Dr. O'Gazel. It was my pleasure. Please visit eCysticFibrosisReview.org to view archive issues of our newsletter and podcasts.